<clears throat> the word we go, but also again to prayer, seeking the Lord's favor on his word this evening. Father, we do want to thank you for the privilege of joining together as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. We're grateful for others who can hear your word tonight online and we're praying, Father, that our time together may, around your word may truly know your favor. As <clears throat> often is said in the scriptures, too, it's not the one that proclaims that's anything. It's God alone. And so may your grace be at work. May your grace and your, your goodness and your grandeur and your Sovereignty be that which is made plain in the proclamation of your gospel tonight. And may we find ourselves doing what the proclaimer and your word does, exalting your great name and putting your glory before our own. We'd ask, Father, that you'd accept our prayers for Jesus' sake. <clears throat> Amen. First Corinthians 4, if you would, please. We're going to turn there to 1 Corinthians 4, and we'll read the 21 verses there of that portion of God's Word as we carry on in our, our series out of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. We read here in the... Uh, few Bibles, the title, The Ministry of Apostles. Let's read from this portion of God's Word. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they should be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Or who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become king. Would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as less 
last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. In the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. And reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in the spirit of gentleness? We thank the Lord again for his word tonight. May it be of a blessing to us. Brothers and sisters, you can tell as we concluded that passage that we have a chapter before us where the apostle is speaking as one who is of uh, a variety of a role, playing a role of a spiritual father to the Corinthian church. He says it very plainly that he admonishes them as his beloved children in verse 14. And that while they have countless guides in Christ, they don't have many fathers because I became your father through the gospel. A good father is the father who cares about what his children do whether what they do is good or bad. The boys and girls that are here tonight, uh, they don't like it when their father doesn't see something good that they do. I'm sure the boys and girls love that when they see their father seeing something good that they did. And, And if they say, even if they just say, you know, good for you, or, boy, you made a very pretty picture, or you did very well on your report card. On the other hand, a a good dad is also going to care about you when you do something wrong, something sinful, something foolish. 
Perhaps you were supposed to be home by a certain time from the park or someone's house. I, I can still remember times, boys and girls, where I was foolish that way. When I was your age and I was supposed to be home by, from the park at a certain time, but I was just having too much fun playing basketball. And then when I wasn't home on time, my father showed that he cared. And he came after me. He came out to get me. And that wasn't a very pleasant thing to see when I saw my dad rolling up and I hadn't shown up yet. And here he came. But uh, he did that because he cared. He doesn't just care when I do something good. He cared when I did something bad. and He was going to let me know, and he did, and he did that not because he hated me. He did it because he loved me. The Apostle Paul sees himself rightly as the spiritual father of the Corinthian church, and not because he saved them, but he was the one that the Lord used to spread the seed of the gospel in Corinth. And he calls the church members there, brothers in the Lord, but he also sees them as his spiritual children. And he takes then a very special interest in them. He cares about them. He cares about what they do for the good and for the bad. He's thankful for them about the things that show that the Lord's at work, but he's going to address those things that aren't in line with the gospel. And, of course, in this chapter, we, we hear it, don't we, again? We, we hear his concern for this, this general arrogance that he senses at the church of Corinth. And he's calling for a change of heart before he shows up there. A God-honoring imitation of the apostles' Christian ways, Christ-like ways, like a child following in his father's footsteps. Paul shows his fatherly concern for the arrogance at Corinth, and he shows it in three ways, really simply, if you go through this passage. The one is in the very letter that he's writing. The other is in the person who ended up delivering it, Timothy, and who was sent by Tim, uh, Paul to Corinth, Timothy himself, another spiritual child. And then also his promise to come in person to see if things have changed at all whether he has to come with the whip or whether he has to, he can come in gentleness of heart. And it's a passage that reminds us, among other things, that warnings in churches, like in families, are not given because leaders don't care, but because they do. It's part of the, of the faithfulness that church leaders and the spirit of the apostles are called to display, who are called stewards, caretakers of the mysteries of the gospel that have been revealed now in these days to the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. So we want to take a look then at Paul's concern, first of all, by the letter that he writes. He says in our passage that he writes to Corinth not because he wants to shame those whom he writes. He wants to warn them of the direction in which they're heading. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, in verse 14. That arrogance is directed as it is because 
or that, 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 excuse me, that admonition is directed as he cares for them, uh, and what seems to trouble him especially is this attitude of arrogance. These people who are puffed up, these people who are bragging, uh, these people that in their arrogance evidently are directing that arrogance at him. It has to do with the leadership issue of which we have spoken, and it also has to do with things that Paul will discuss later in the chapters before. Evidently, there were those who had a significant contempt for the apostle at Corinth. We hear a lot more about that in 2 Corinthians 1, when the Corinthians are, they are accusing him of being undependable and inconsistent who speaks one who speaks out of two sides of his mouth. It's interesting that today in the, the modern church, that's still how Paul seems to speak to some people. God's word to some can say just about whatever they want it to say. And it's all about how people interpret it, they say. Well, that's a nice excuse to say we can make it say what we want. We can shape it like a, a wax nose, as they say. Whatever issue strikes your fancy, it appears that you can ground your argument evidently in your interpretation of Scripture or in uh, your contempt for it. The arrogance against Paul also claimed that he talked tough when he was far away, but when he came near that he wilted. And here's why you get this talk at the beginning of this passage then about judging the apostle and Paul's insistence that only God had the right to judge him about matters of the heart. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, or I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. We'll make everything clear. What's really happening here? Well, on this side of glory, uh, there will always be arrogant people who will give faithful church leaders a hard time for no reason. They will. But an even deeper problem is when the apostolic word and authority of Jesus Christ is called into contempt and question. And this seems to have been especially a problem at Corinth. And it continues to be a problem that plagues the Church of Jesus Christ today. The sufficiency of the apostolic word of Christ and of God for faith and life is called into question in all sorts of ways. It, 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 it started way back then. It's nothing new to the Church. It's not enough to have the Bible and its principles guide us in matters of faith and Christian practice, and that's why there's a need for some to have an apostolic succession. Why you have one pope after another pope after another pope. And it's not enough to have the sufficiency of the scriptures to direct our path, and so we need a modern charismatic word to come from a charismatic person to sustain and direct our lives. And it's not enough or legitimate to have the Word of God lead us. We, we need an alternative guide like, like the Book of Mormon or the Quran to, to direct our way of thinking. It's not enough to, 
for us to be directed by the Word. We need to be directed by our feelings or the culture around us uh, or the majority and its rule or gut instinct or our zeal or our strong convictions. Um, that revelation that the Lord gave me directly, independent of anything else or anyone else, and so, like the Corinthians, what they were doing where they were passing judgment on the Apostle Paul, it wasn't just Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's his apostolic office that they were trying to judge. But the modern attempts also seek to pass judgment on the apostolic words. That's always been a tempting trap for people, and people fall into those traps all the time. The arrogance against the apostle, of course, is unfounded. At Corinth, Paul's motives were on trial. People were trying to judge his heart. If they were judging an outward act of sin, well, that would be another matter. But they were trying to judge his heart, and people, Paul knows that such a judgment can only be left to the Lord. Paul's not trying to say he's above critique here. Only that, that they have no foundation on which to stand when it comes to their critique, particularly since they're trying to, to a great extent, to, to judge the sincerity of Paul and his motives within, which, which only God can judge. Only God can bring to light those things hidden in the darkness. He'll disclose the purposes of the heart. But that's what these people are trying to do. This is not a passage that's trying to teach people that church leaders are infallible or above judgment. That no one has the right to make judgments on their work. But there does need to be a distinction made between an outward critique which can be judged, Paul does it himself after all, and what's inward and of the heart, which only God can judge, which only God can reveal, which only God can bring to the surface, which only God can bring to light. I heard a while back of a, of a football coach who was being accused by one of his players of insincerity when that coach sought to defend that player in public. And he was right away accused, well, he doesn't really say that in truth. He doesn't really believe that. Remarkably, that coach said nothing but good things in public about this player, but because the coach was not playing this player, he accused the coach of insincerity. It's pretty hard to judge one's heart of insincerity unless one has the outward evidence to back it up. Paul would say later that unless we have evidence to the contrary, as he gets on in this letter, that we need to side on the side of grace. For as he would say in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love believes all things. God knows whether we are sincere or not in our actions and attitudes. And in his day, he'll make what is dark to us light for all. 
to see. It should promote sincerity for us uh, to hear that. It should keep us honest. But it should also keep us from wildly judging people without just cause. For that, from Paul's point of view, is just arrogant. And that's what he's addressing here. There's more concern about arrogance here, of course. People were taking a superior attitude because, again, they belonged to, they thought, to one faithful group over against other faithful groups who were part of a group that were just as faithful as the one to whom they were belonging. Uh, We've seen that many times already as we've been looking at Corinth. Paul emphasizes that anyone who has a superior or a superiority complex in the church need only remember that whatever they are and whomever we have become, it's only by God. In verse 6 he says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have if you didn't receive? If then you received it, then why do you boast as if you didn't? There's no reason, you see, for arrogance. Paul's emphasizing here that anybody who has that kind of a superiority complex in the church need only remember that they are who they are because of God. There's no reason for arrogance. There's no reason to be puffed up. There's no reason to be boasted except in the war. Paul reminds us again that there's no reason for boasting over Christian leaders like they're some sort of celebrity. Paul reminds us of a principle that is good for many matters. Don't go beyond what is written. What is written about those who lead in the church throughout the ages is that they are as Paul begins this portion that we read, that they are servants of the Lord. They are literally under rowers. In the days of ancient Greece and ancient ancient Rome, these were the people who served the naval boats. They rowed in those lower portions of the the, the boats, right? And like those who in those rowing naval boats were carrying on in behalf of the navies, so also is the apostle seeing himself as such a servant. They're but caretakers, he says, of the mysteries of the gospel, stewards. Revealing then, not mysteries like, you know, you you read a Sherlock Holmes book that you can't figure it out. These are mysteries that have now, are being uncovered. They're being revealed. The truth of the gospel to the nations. Finally, no more that shadow, no more that cloudiness, but this clarity, this reality is being revealed by this steward, by this caretaker. And he says, it's not they who are to be revered. They're just taking care of these important things. They're just the ones that are helping the Navy. It's Christ whom they serve. 
Corinth also had the pride of self-sufficiency, a blend of much of our discussion tonight. The arrogant didn't need apostles. They didn't need others in the church. They didn't need apostolic direction. There's even a smack of superiority to the apostles. And Paul uses a measure of sarcasm. You've arrived. You're perfected. In no need of correction. And in no need of others. Glorified as kings in God's kingdom. You've become rich. You've become kings. Would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. We must have missed the boat somehow, says Paul. Because we're paraded before the world as those defeated by the enemy. We're spectacles. Spectacles to the world, spectacles to angels, spectacles to men. We're paraded before like we lost. Like we're last in the parade line. Just to be the uh, fodder for people's ridicule. We must be nobodies. Because we've had bad things happen to us. We're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless, we hunger, we thirst. So we don't return insult for insult. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. But we become like the scum of the world. Refuse of all things. But see, because things aren't going right for Paul, that must be a sign that Paul is not worthy then of respect. He's not glittery and glamorous. Well, let's face it, Christianity is not going to make everyone rich and famous. If we put Paul's ministry on the grid of prosperity preaching today, it wouldn't fit anywhere. But as this passage reminds us, as it begins, what was important about Paul's ministry was not, first of all, the glitter and the glam, And that's not what's first of all important about anybody's ministry. Or anybody's life for that matter. It's not the prosperity that comes from it. But it's the faithfulness that's found in it. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God in verse 4 and verse 1. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. That's what matters. That's what matters. And part of that faithfulness is living like a person who knows that he is who he is solely because of the grace of God. And not out of arrogance. And and so Paul is saying really in a bottom line kind of way to these people, just seek to be faithful. Don't seek to be arrogant. Don't seek to have the spotlight on you. Just seek to be faithful. Now there's more arrogance that Paul is going to address and 
And we're going to see more of that in the fifth chapter when we get to it. But that's it for this passage here. But his fatherly warning is then underscored, and it's concerned for that because he sends his faithful son, spiritual son, Timothy, to these spiritual children to seek by grace to straighten out their arrogance. Paul wants the church to imitate him as a faithful apostle of Christ that just seeks to be faithful, not to be arrogant. It was obvious that Paul could not be accused of arrogance. He didn't insult when insulted. He blessed when he when cursed. He was willing to go hungry and, and be shabbily clothed for the gospel. He was willing to be beaten and jailed for it. But then that was the Lord's way. And he did that to win his people from sinful arrogance. Arrogant Christians is an oxymoron. A contradiction in terms. If anybody thought that Paul blew with the wind, they needed to be reminded that his teaching was the same everywhere with all the churches. And that's what a faithful steward of the Lord will do. There's one head of the church, and his steward, his representative, is not going to speak out of both sides of his mouth because his, his Lord doesn't do that. He's not going to tell one church yes and the other church no. His apostolic word is a word on which you can depend. You can count on it. It's grace for all ages. It's Christ's way for all churches, no matter Jew or Gentile, red, yellow, black, or white. And it reminds us again that if, if churches really want to bind together, the best way to do that is to honor the apostolic word. Listen to your spiritual fathers, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. These underrollers, these stewards, these caretakers of the mysteries of the gospel. This spiritual father saw this as so important that he sends one of his spiritual sons who himself is faithful to address the issue of arrogance. But there was such an arrogance in Corinth that they figured Paul was all talk and no walk. And that's why Paul will show up in person to see if there's a change of attitude. Which I guess reminds us again about the strength and the importance of being present, right? Of face-to-face -face times. Uh, we think about that in our own time where it's easy to say, well, I'm not going to go face-to-face -face anywhere. I, I've got it easier now. I can just tune in somehow electronically, and I don't have to be present anywhere. No, being face-to-face -face is still a very important thing in the communion of the saints. But, uh, yeah, Paul's going to show up then in person to see if there's a change of attitude. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and, if, and I'll find out 
Not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk, but in power. Paul knows that there are those in Corinth that think that he's full of hot air. But Paul knows that there are those in Corinth that are full of hot air. They think Paul is, but they are. They talk big against the apostle and they talk about how spiritual they are, but Paul will come to see for himself just how spiritual they are. And he'll be able to tell. If they continue to act in arrogance, then they're just full of talk. Oh yeah, we're spiritual, all right, and we don't need you. <laughs> that's, that's arrogance. That's spiritual arrogance. They'll show that they're not filled with the power of God, just with the wisdom of men. If they don't have a penitent spirit, that'll show their arrogance. If they're not submissive to the letter, to Timothy, and then to the apostle when he shows up, that'll show how arrogant they are. If they won't change their attitude about the matters that he's going to talk about regarding sexuality and legal battles and marriage and all these other matters, then that too is going to show their arrogance. Not their spiritual maturity and, and up-to-dateness, and acumen, and maturity that way. They act like kings. But they're called to be subject to the kingdom of God. Their humility, on the other hand, will show how powerful they really are. Their submissive spirit will show how greatly the grace of God has touched them. An obedient lifestyle that respects the apostolic ways of the Lord Jesus will show how spiritual they really are. Their change of heart will show whether they are truly children of the Lord or not and whether they are truly spiritual children of His. He gives two options. He says, I can bring the whip because you didn't smarten up. Or I can come in the spirit of gentleness, gentleness because you're acting as dearly loved children of God. And we can talk big about our spirituality, but it needs to show itself in action, doesn't it? Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. And I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We're sinful people, and in arrogance, we say things that we shouldn't say. And we think things that we shouldn't think. And when we sin, we can think ourselves to be really somebody because of ourselves. Through faith in Christ, we become children of God. But always as products of grace. Always. And remembering that, keeping that in mind, 
will make a difference when we deal with others. When we come into the presence of God, it's the way that it should be when we've come to know the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't find ourselves in that way boasting in ourselves. Because what do you do? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? God receive all the glory in our lives. Amen. Let's join in prayer, shall we? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we once again have an opportunity tonight, we've had it, to, to meditate on the gospel promises. We hear a spiritual father's counsel against arrogance. He communicated it, he reiterated it, and he followed up on it. And we're glad he cared so much to do those things. May we receive such counsel ourselves in kind. May it be a time for us even this evening again to, uh, to recognize the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the difference that it makes in our lives uh, so that it wouldn't be arrogance that is the hallmark of our lives, but humility and graciousness and a recognition of that in the way that we treat others and certainly as we treat your apostolic word and as we are called to exalt you, because what have we received that you didn't give us? Why in the world would we boast as if we didn't receive it? Thank you, Father, when we can see ourselves as children of the apostolic gospel. May it be the most important thing for us, not our arrogance, far from it, but the faithfulness to which you've called us as leaders and members in the Church of Jesus Christ. His name we